Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Public Health Networker. I'm your host, Dr. April Moreno. And in this episode, this is the second of three episodes for the API Heritage Month series that we're working on. And in this episode, I'm talking about API heritage, uh, mixed identity, talking about disaggregation of data, and even breaking through mental health stigma. I share a little bit about my story growing up in Los Angeles in Chinatown and about the mixed heritage experience. So I hope you enjoy this episode. And to learn more about us and our podcast, visit publichealthpodcasters.com. Are you feeling burnt out and exhausted in the field of public health? Do you feel like you're constantly working and never taking time for yourself? We need a call to action for all of us to prioritize rest and self-care in our lives as we care for other people through our work and to resist that notion that we've always got to be on. I'm so excited to announce our upcoming book club, which is an interactive workshop throughout the month of July. We will be reading the book, Rest is Resistance by Trisha Hersey, a powerful and inspiring book that highlights the importance of rest and self-care, especially for those of us in the BIPOC and public health communities. We will also be discussing related texts as they relate to public health literature and similar authors on the theme of rest as a form of resistance and self-care. Throughout this book club, we will be exploring how we can liberate ourselves through rest and having meaningful discussions on how to apply these concepts to our own lives with the context of public health and BIPOC awareness and allyship. We will also be providing resources and tools for you to practice self-care and rest throughout the month of July and onward. We will provide you with a copy of the book, Rest is Resistance and Related Texts, as you join us for a month of reflection, connection, and growth. We can't wait to hear your thoughts on the powerful book, Rest is Resistance. Sign up for the book club today at publichealthpodcasters.com slash book club, and let's take the first step to prioritize rest as resistance. Welcome to the Public Health Networker. I'm your host, Dr. April Moreno, and today we are continuing the theme on API Heritage Month, as we are still in the month of May, and we're going to optimize this because in the past I've kind of worked behind schedule, and actually one of our episodes recently is actually from several months back, and so we are a little behind. So to catch up, we're going to continue this conversation with priority this month for API heritage and public health because we have been through quite a few things over the past few years as it relates to COVID, hate crimes, just so many things that have been happening to our communities. Data aggregation, disaggregation, the topic of decolonization, this discussion of what it means to have a lack of stigma, to reduce stigma in our communities as it relates to mental health. There are just so many things we can talk about today. And today I'm going to be sharing my story and the culture that the cultures I inhabit and how my experiences in public health have connected with identity as well. So to me, Asian Pacific identity is something I really love, love being a part of these communities, love being Chinese American, love being third generation Chinese American and part of a little spoken language group of the Toisan community, Toisanese speaking and Cantonese speaking group. However, 
I also have that hidden language that's actually something that is part of my history versus what I actually can speak fluently. The number of Cantonese speakers in this country does seem to be declining as well. Migration patterns and who is here who speaks Chinese. It's much more Mandarin speakers now. So if I'm going to learn a new language, most likely it's going to be Mandarin. You know, I grew up with a Chinese-American mother and a Mexican-American father. So today I want to talk about the fact that I love both cultures. I love both identities. I just happen to be, um, as a mixed person, I was born with more of an Asian face. And so I do experience what it's like to live as an Asian American um, because that is my external appearance. Whether or not, let's say I grew up in Mexico or whether I grew up you know, with my dad, which I did for a certain number of years, I am always seen as an Asian, Asian, um, and not always as an Asian American. So we're going to be talking about that today, deconstructing API heritage and data disaggregation, public safety, and breaking through stigma. These are the different themes I want to talk about today. So as I mentioned, I'm like of this third generation, and sometimes the generations get a little confused because even in sociology, it's even more tricky because there's like a 2.5 generation. I went to a sociology conference once and they had this terminology. It was, even to this day, I don't quite understand it. The 2.5 generation, for example. If you migrated from another country, are you part of the first generation? Because you're the first to become possibly a citizen? Or is it that your child or your children are your first generation Americans? That's always been confusing to me. And the way I grew up hearing about it in Chinatown, LA, is that the second generation is the child, the ones who were born um, at the French hospital across the street from our elementary school and things like that. So I spent a lot of time growing up in a Chinese-speaking community, a Cantonese-speaking community, to be honest. And what is now, you know, has been, has changed over the years. It's become gentrified. It has been, become this place of art galleries and things like that instead of um, the Chinese community that I'm used to seeing throughout the 80s in Los Angeles. And I wrote a podcast story about that called Alpine, the podcast. And if you want to hear more about that, it's on my website, aprilmorenophd.com. If you want to um, reminisce with me about Chinatown of the 1980s, breakdancing and everything. But today, as we are here in a public health context, let's talk a little bit more about API heritage and deconstructing. Being mixed is so interesting, and I think this is a, hopefully a growing conversation. Yes, I am APIA, Asian American, Chinese American. I want to make it clear that my mother is also American born. She has never been to Asia she has never been to China. She doesn't have a passport. And she has really no particular longing to go to China. Uh, most of her family and friends and relatives are here locally. And her parents and, and the older generations are no longer with us. So she has very little she feels to relate to in another country. And these are things that I don't think a lot of people talk enough about. The migration experience we were here since like the 40s, right? So why is that still not uh, conceivable in the mind of a lot of people? And as it relates to diet, I would say that I grew, I mean, I grew up eating American food because my mother's American. I'm American and my mother was born here too, right? So I grew up on a diet of hamburgers, 
you know, once or twice a week, pizza, um, maybe some tacos. I really did eat a lot of junk food growing up. And, um, you know, my mom was a single mom. She worked all day for the school district. And then after work, whatever was easy for our long commute home was what we were going to have for dinner. And it was rarely, you know, something that took a lot of time and a lot of home cooking. So um, I grew up on the standard American diet. And um, my grandparents on that side of the family, um, they lived only until like their 70s, both from heart disease and stroke on the API side, on the Chinese side. They were, um, they passed away from heart disease and stroke. I believe that their diet was rather healthy. My grandmother used to cook some traditional Cantonese food. However, I think that maybe there was a lack of exercise and also don't know if she had health insurance. So I don't know if she was up to date on her health screenings. And um, so when she had a heart attack in the 70s, we were pretty surprised, but also we didn't have any forewarning because of the fact that she really didn't have a whole lot of access to healthcare. On my Mexican side, however, they died of different conditions, right? My my grandmother had um, diabetes and cancer. So we have on the Mexican side, diabetes and cancer. And on the Asian side, we have heart disease and stroke. So those are the main factors that play out in, in my two families' lives. The other thing I wanted to talk today about is the pandemic and how that has been connected to API heritage and identity and concerns. I live in a fairly conservative neighborhood, first of all, and at the beginning of the pandemic, I felt very unsafe to be out in the streets, and actually for good reason, and did experience a situation um, where people were quite, uh, someone was quite unkind to me, and stepped on the gas, of course, as they saw me. It's happened a couple of times. They look at you, they step on the gas, and they watch you. That's something that happened, and um, you know, my concern was that I was going to get blamed for for COVID, right? That is a huge concern. For many years, I only walked during the pandemic with groups of people and um, certain times of the day when there were others out there, maybe a few other Asians I could find in the neighborhood. That's where I would feel safe. And there is data out there that shares that large percentages of people, and I will be sharing these um, percentages and citations with you and references in the show notes as it relates to data on Uh, API identity, public health, and safety, uh, because there are definitely concerns as we haven't felt safe over the years. And as you've heard, things that were happening in Georgia, things that were happening in San Francisco have not lent lent themselves to help us feel any safer, unfortunately. Uh, In terms of data disaggregation, this continues to be a huge need. Uh, If you're unfamiliar with this concept, it's the fact that All Asians are kind of classified together. We're often seen as this model minority. We're often seen as doing well, living well, um, great income, great SES, socioeconomic status, great educations and things like that. However, the, the truth is actually quite different. I grew up in Los Angeles with a lot of I mean, new immigrants. I, I mean, barely working class people. These are people who Uh, lived in small apartments, and these are people, my family included, didn't have higher education. 
Many of us were not pressured. We were not tiger, grew, grown up with tiger moms. That wasn't even a thing for us. We didn't have that level of SES to even think that we were capable of going to college. We didn't even know anybody who had gone to college. And this is a fact. Like, I'm the first one who went to college in my family. Okay, and I'm the first one who has a PhD. I'm the first one who went to grad school. I was never pressured to do these things. These were things that I felt personally that I had to do to survive psychologically in a toxic environment, which I won't go into here, but I didn't have the greatest um, mental health growing up uh, for various reasons. And so my escape was education to get out. And so um, going to church, getting an education, those were my ways out of uh, difficult situations in my childhood. The reason I say this is because a lot of the people I grew up with uh, were not pressured to go to college. We were not your model minority. We had classmates that were in gangs. You know, we were just people just doing things to survive for the most part. So that's something I really want to share, that story. And again, I, I share that uh, childhood in the 80s, uh, my elementary school days in a uh, podcast series, which I should be hopefully turning into a book in the near future. So in terms of diet, once again, my grandparents, my grandmother on the Chinese side, my grandfather already had a stroke by the time I was like three or four years old. I don't even remember his voice because he already had lost his ability to speak and walk. He was in bed when I was three or four years old. He had already had a pretty bad stroke. And then my Chinese grandmother, she only spoke Cantonese. And I only got a chance to understand Chinese up until before kindergarten. So I, I know great vocabulary and great... Um, I know the Chinese of a toddler. <clears throat> hey, I know Cantonese. Um, hey, I'm pretty fluent um, if I'm a three-year-old. Okay, I can tell you if I want cookies, milk, water, if I've been bad or good, if I'm going to get spanked, <laughs> if I need a new diaper or whatever. I can tell you these things. And that's pretty much it. <laughs> so that is the extent of my Chinese language skills. And so we are not perpetual minorities in actuality. English is pretty much my only language that I grew up with other than, you know, uh, hearing a few slang words in English and Spanish in school, I had to learn Spanish in high school. I had to learn. Um, I haven't actually haven't learned Chinese yet, and I really hope to. I went to Japan to teach English, so I've learned conversational Japanese, which was a lot of fun. So I can actually speak more Japanese than I can speak Chinese. Interestingly, while I lived in Japan, I actually was able to pass as Japanese. And that's really something I completely didn't expect. So as it relates to data aggregation and passing, there's a lot of complexity there because we can blend in in different environments. But at the same time, um, some of those socioeconomic and social determinants of health are very vastly different, even within ethnic groups. If you say, you know, all Chinese people in the United States are dedicated to education, that's not true. <laughs> Even that alone, right? Um, again, we were in survival mode. Um, my friends and I, um, I, I was never pressured to go into higher education. Um, my dad wanted me to join, well, my dad's Mexican, but he wanted me to join the military. My mom was just like, just be happy and, and do what you need to do. 
in terms of breaking through stigma, I think there's still a lot there as it relates to um, mental health. A lot of those stories are still not being told. A lot of the family dynamics and difficulties. We actually tried to talk to my mom the other day about her childhood. You know, the things she remembered about her parents. And she said that she had a, she drew a blank. There's so much that no one talked about. Um, there was a time when, you know, I have an autoimmune diagnosis and I'm still trying to uncover kind of the background on that. Although I see it also on my father's side. So there's a lot of things that we don't know about our um, family stories as it relates to mental health, as it relates to uh, family dynamics, a lot of things that we are not talking about. So those are a lot of the things I wanted to share today. That's kind of my story as it relates to uh, API identity, kind of just half the story of who I am because it's um, my mother's side of the family. And again, this is decades and decades of life within the United States. Okay, my grandmother, again, cooked traditional meals. She made things like egg with tomatoes in it. She made things like um, lotus root soup and chicken stew. She did a lot of like um, boiled fish and she would do things like steamed dumplings with dried shrimp and peanuts. Kind of um, what I'm hearing is a typical Cantonese traditional way of cooking. And those are the things that I grew up going to eat, um, you know, occasionally at dinner time uh, at my grandma's house, uh, which was close to my school. So we did actually, um, that was our home cooking uh, when we could have that. I would just once again say that the data disaggregation piece continues to be needed. But again, there's just so much complexity within, you know, SES within a national culture or ethnicity or identity. Um, but um, yeah, that income, safety, and certain types of diseases, there are trends. And, and I'm also really curious to hear over the coming years what those dynamics are like for two or more identities, mixed race groups, as it relates to public health. Because this is something that is continuing to grow and it's not something that we still talk about yet. And then finally, I wanted to talk a little bit more about safety and API identity visibility. I mean, it's really all about what you what we look like, right? So whether if I were only like a quarter Asian, if that's what appears on the outside, if that those are the features I grew up with, I am just Asian to a lot of people. And that's okay. Um, this is a concern when it comes to public safety. According to a study from NAPAW, um, N-A-P-A-W-F, there has been a 339% increase in reports of hate crimes against Asian Americans over the last year. And this is a 2022 March um, document. So there are a lot of concerns as it relates to discrimination, harassment, uh, physical violence that is happening, whether it be gender-based or just um, things that are, that are happen on, happening on the street, race-based, and so on. So that is a huge concern. So um, I, I do appreciate that the um, American Journal of Public Health recently published an article in May 2022 on trends and collection of disaggregated Asian American, Native Hawaiian, and Pacific Islander data. Um, and finding those trends, um, approximately 7% of the national population self-identifies as an Asian American, Native Hawaiian, or Pacific Islander. And I do want to say that self-identification matters so much. I have been in my own EHR 
been classified as non-Hispanic Asian. And they're wrong. Like, that's just the thing. Like, it's they have no business deciding my race and identity, ethnic identity for me. And they're because they're going to get it wrong. So my EHR alone says that I am non-Hispanic Asian um, just because of how I look. Self-identification is important. AANHPI people have historically been aggregated as one race in many federal surveys. And this amorphous category masks wide variation in access to medical resources and health outcomes. For example, and this is from the American Journal of Public Health, for example, Filipinx, Asian Indian, and Korean adults have a high prevalence of diabetes. Chinese and Korean people have higher prevalence of smoking. And Pacific Islanders have higher rates of obesity. So these are um, trends that we are seeing if you were to actually disaggregate the data. So this is important. So I hope that we continue to see more of this data being shared. And um, once again, SES, economics, and different types of um, health conditions here. Um, it says here, cancer is the leading cause of death for every group except Asian Indians. Uh, this is an article from um, PLOS1 on leading causes of death among Asian American subgroups. So they were able to find these differences. The proportion of death due to heart disease in Asian Indian males was nearly double than that of cancer. Suicide mortality is increased in the Koreans, and there's an increased mortality from Alzheimer's for all race and ethnic groups. Yeah, temporal trends showed increased mortality of cancer and diabetes in Asian Indians and Vietnamese. Um, so yeah, we are seeing these trends and it's really important for us to continue to explore these differences um, across different cultures, across uh, even within these groups, uh, what it's like um, as it relates to SES. And then once again, um, that level of um, generational access to cultural foods and cultural traditions and diet and, and social interaction. I think all of these things are going to play a role in the way that we experience health outcomes. Some of the things I wanted to share today about API uh, a heritage my story as it relates to what it it's like being um, more than one race and then kind of just being seen as Asian <laughs> no matter what um, and then also the differences within the groups um, again growing up as a Chinese American until I went to college I didn't identify I didn't even know what a model minority was I didn't I couldn't identify with um, the tiger mom stereotype, um, none of that. Some of us have lost our languages. Some of us have lost our um, ties to other countries. We're here with you. We're just, we're as American as everyone else for the most part, unless we actively seek our identities and seek to um, bring our cultures back to life in our own ways of living. So um, that's my story for today, and that is today's episode on um, public health deconstructing API heritage and uh, breaking through stigma. So um, if you are going through a mental health situation and you feel like you can't talk to somebody, I hope that you will seek out um, someone like a counselor, uh, seek out mental health resources, because it is so crucial. I believe that um, now that I have this autoimmune disease, Mental health is the foundation to our well-being, and um, let's break through that stigma. Um, if you can't, if you don't feel safe talking to your parents about something, go ahead and uh, find a trusted 
um, community member or a health resource, uh, someone that you can speak to about how to get your mental health under control. Uh, that's important. And again, um, finding ways to feel safe, socially safe, out in the neighborhood, um, out in the community as well, um, feeling um, connected to people, people who will advocate for you and be allies for you, walk out, take walks outside with you if you feel like it's not safe in your community. So all of these things are really important. And um, yeah, I hope this information has been informative for whether you are part of the API community or an ally or, or not. I hope this information has been helpful. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Public Health Networker. Continue the conversation with us at our upcoming July event on Rest as Resistance as we talk about public health, colonization, BIPOC experiences, and public health. So that'll be an interesting conversation, an interesting journey throughout the month of July. Also, we have a couple more episodes as it relates to public health and API heritage. We hope you'll join us in the coming episodes ahead. To learn more about us again, visit publichealthpodcasters.com.